It's so good to have y'all back. We missed you guys a ton. And so tonight, we're going to start with a little game, kind of welcome y'all back in. This game is called How Well Do You Know Your 20th Century American Christian Parachurch Pastors? Okay? Y'all ready for this game? Don't make me repeat it because I actually have no idea what I just said. Here's the first one. By raise the hand, how many, of he, how many of you in this room know Billy Graham? Like, not know him personally, okay? Like, have heard about him, have at least know the name, can kind of, are familiar with the name? Raise them, raise them high. Okay, I was going to guess everybody. It's, it's like 75% of the room. Okay, here's, here's a hard one. And for those of you that don't know Billy Graham, he was like the evangelist of all evangelists, like some of you in this room, your, your parents, your aunts, your uncles came to faith because of Billy Graham. And so like he changed the way, at least in America, that like evangelism was, was done. And so that's number one. Maybe here's a little more, a, a tougher one. Who here knows who Bill Bright is? Where are my crew, crew people at? Come on. Bill Bright, he started and founded a parachurch ministry called Campus Crusade that now we call Crew and then kind of spawned to Bridges and so many other things. It's reaching students around the world. It's huge. Okay, how about this one? We're getting a little less familiar. A guy named Dawson Trotman. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Dawson Trotman. Anyone know who this is? Anyone even heard this name before? Yes, good. He started a ministry called Navigators. Navigators, and they're around the globe, impacting lives, discipling, evangelism for Christ. Okay, and here's our last one. It's a guy by the name of Jim Rayburn, okay? Jim Rayburn, have you heard, have you heard of him? Okay, nice, Jim Rayburn. He started this really, really small ministry here called uh, Young Life, okay? Anyone here? Who here has been impacted at all by Young Life? Just, yeah. How about anyone that's been impacted by, by Billy Graham, by Crew, by Bridges, by Navigators, by Young Life? Raise your hand if you've, even in the, the tiniest way, have been impacted by any of these ministries here. And I would say if we even took it just like one faith generation back, I would say that so many of us, the majority of the people in this, in, are here in this room because of one of these people or because one of their ministries or because one of the ministries they partnered with. But here's the craziest thing. They all have one really, really crazy thing in common. They all were, were to some degree, trained, equipped, discipled, mentored, poured into by the same woman. And now tell me if you've heard of, it, uh, heard of Henrietta Mears. Anybody? I had not until like this week. Henrietta Mears. This is the name that we should know, like every hand should be raised because she, just from Southern California, which I love, also being from Southern California, she just started following Jesus and was like, I just wanna be faithful. I wanna be faithful to whatever Jesus gives me. I wanna be faithful to whatever opportunities I have. 
So she started leading some Bible studies and was faithful there. Then she got asked to lead some, some Sunday schools at her church, was faithful there. She started inviting people into her home, people that needed a place to live, just faithful to disciple, to mentor, to shepherd, to equip, to train. She started a camp in California where some of these men went to and were trained and equipped. And no one's ever heard of her. She was faithful. And she probably had no idea the impact that would be had. The, the entire church, not only in America, but in the world, has been drastically changed for the better because of her faithfulness. And the reason we, we start with this story is because we're going through a series this semester called Unsung Heroes. We're kind of taking a leap of faith here. And so we've heard from a lot of y'all that, hey, I don't really know the Old Testament as well as I would like to. I would love to learn more about the Old Testament. So we're gonna do that this semester, but we're gonna do it through the lens of some lesser known characters, through the lens of, of just people who were faithful with what God had given them. And we're gonna see this semester people that if they didn't exist, if, if, if they weren't faithful to what God had given them, some of us might not even be here in this room today. And so we're gonna start in Genesis 12 with a woman by the name of Sarah, okay? A lot of you probably have heard of Sarah, maybe you know some of her story, maybe you know all of her story, but we're gonna try and cover like technically 21 chapters of Genesis today, okay? Y'all ready for that? 21 chapters of Genesis, it's actually more like nine, and then we'll just kind of like really dive deep into a couple of them. So if you have your Bibles, it's time. Bring them out. If you ha don't have your Bible, but it's on your phone, it's, it's time. We're, we're gonna go for it. We're gonna be flying. My, my reward for y'all making it through 21 chapters will be some honey butter chicken biscuits at the end of the night. So it, it's, wor it's worth the wait, y'all. We can do this, okay? And so to give you just a, a brief context, right before this, we're gonna be in Genesis 12, and right before this was something called the Tower of Babel. And what happened was there's, there's wickedness and sin and evil that was kind of spreading, and, and all these people got together, spoke the same language, said, what if we built this tower? And what if we got it high into the heavens, as high as, as that's ever been made, and we could be like God. We could reach, people would see that and they would, they would see how, how we made this and, and, and we would be in essence like God. And God saw their wickedness, God saw their rebellion, God saw their pride and arrogance. And what he did was he, he confused their languages and he spread them out among the land. And so where we pick up today is actually in a little a city called Haran. And we pick it up with, with a, a husband named Abram and a wife named Sarai. And so Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse one, it says, the Lord, this is Yahweh, had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. God commands right away, you're gonna, you're gonna leave this place that you've known your whole life. And he gives them a promise. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. 
I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram is 65 years old and he's with his wife, Sarai. They've lived in this city called Haran their whole lives. They went with Abram's dad to, from a place called Ur and they've, they've built a life in this place. This is all they know. This is where their, their comforts are. This is where their people are. This is where their possessions are. And out of nowhere, God says, pick it all up and go. And notice how vague he is with this as well. I'm gonna show you eventually where you're gonna be. But here's the promise. From you, from your line, from your lineage, your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by you. And so go. And so if it was me, I would have like a, a million different questions, want to hear some details. But all we hear is that they just go. They just pick up and they go. It says, Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot, which is his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. His wife, Sarai, who we're going to talk about tonight, was 65 years old. And he took, took them and their family and their possessions and they just left. So this is what's happening. They started here in Ur, spent most of their life, 65 years in Haran, and then God is saying, I'm gonna send you to this unknown land and you're gonna be a blessing to the people. Everything you've known, everything you've loved, all, all these things that you've gotten so used to and accustomed to, you're gonna be, they're gonna be miles and miles and miles behind you. And so they go to Canaan, and then the famine happens in Canaan, so they go to Egypt, then they come back, and they're just waiting. But they're trusting, they said, we'll take this leap of faith. God made me this promise, he told me to go, and we said yes. And the reason we start there is because everyone in this room who would call themselves a follower of Jesus at the very beginning of your faith was answering this call. It's the same call. And every single one of you that's a Christian, that call comes with sacrifice. That call comes with risk. There's some risky obedience involved in the Christian life. And I know, hey, trust me, I know we do not like to talk about it. What makes, me, what makes me a little nervous talking about this is, honestly, when I look at my own heart, when I look at the idols in my own life, and then I look at the Bible Belt as a whole, it seems like we've tried to have our cake and eat it too. It seems like, okay, yeah, we like this Jesus thing, like we, we like the rewards, eternal life sounds great, hell sounds terrible, and so like, I wanna follow Jesus, I wanna do that. I like the kind of the friends I've made here. But like at the same time, can I like have all the comforts and all the pleasures and all the status and all the relationships that I, that I would have if it wasn't for Jesus? And we've tried to have all of it. We don't want it, we didn't wanna give up anything. And yet when you look at the gospels, 
every single time Jesus calls one of his disciples, it comes with sacrifice. It comes with risk. It comes with loss. Hey, follow me and leave behind this life that you once knew. Follow me, leave your profession, leave your family, leave your house. Obedience to Jesus comes with sacrifice. And what's crazy is that it seems like Abram and Sarai like understand this. They just pick up and leave. But if you're like me, this is a lot more difficult. And so the first question I have for y'all tonight is what are you most fearful of losing? And specifically, I'm saying, let's say Jesus was here tonight and Jesus comes up to you after this service. And he says, I want you to follow me, but you have to leave this behind. What is it in your life that you're most afraid of losing to follow Jesus? Is it certain friends that you have, a certain friend group? Maybe it's a, a dating relationship that you're in that, that you probably shouldn't be in. Is it the, the comforts and the pleasures that you've just gotten so used to following wherever your cravings lead? Is it status? I've got this plan for my life and, I, and there's nothing that's gonna change me from this plan. That was me in college. I had this plan. It was like, I was a kinesiology major. I was gonna go to OT school. Like I was probably gonna teach some tennis lessons on the side. We'll get, we'll get to that later. And it was like, this is it. I had this plan. I was one of those guys that you hated because I had everything figured out freshman year of college. I knew what I was gonna do. I knew where I was gonna go. I knew what it was gonna look like. And I was just, I was doing it. Three full years of college. And then one summer, the Lord completely changed that. And I felt this call into ministry. And I was like, no way. Like, I've, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. Like, I have this plan. I have all these things that I wanna do. I have a certain salary that I want to make. And like, I'm not, I'm not doing any of that. Like, I wanna follow you, Jesus, but I also wanna do my, my own thing. I have this plan. And so, the first semester of my senior year, the entire semester, I just pushed it away, pushed it away. I kept having this feeling like the Lord was calling me into ministry. I was like, nope, doesn't make sense. It's not practical. What would my parents think? What would my friends think? This is silly. There's no way. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And so if Sarah, Sarai and Abram are like, all right, we'll leave everything and follow you, I was the opposite. I was like, there's nothing you could do to make, to make me change from this plan. Like I've had this figured out. And what we're gonna see is that God's okay with that. God's okay with our questions, with our doubts, with our insecurities. And he's gonna meet us in those things. And so what we're gonna pick up they go to Canaan, they're there, they're waiting. God said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you, your people is gonna be a blessing to all nations. And they're like, okay, we have no kids. Like, where are my people? And they wait decades. We're not just talking about like, oh, they went on like a vacation, a little sabbatical. They, like, they kind of wandered around. We're talking about they waited decades, plural, 
Some of y'all in this room are not even decades, plural, years old. They waited longer than you've been alive and nothing. So try and put yourself in Sarai's shoes for a second, okay? God said, it's gonna be through your children that I'm gonna bless the whole nations, like everybody. And at this point, Sarai is late into her 80s, way past childbearing age, and nothing's happened. And so doubts start to creep in, fears, anxieties, what ifs, guilt, shame. It says Sarai had borne no children, and so she has this idea. I have this Egyptian slave. What if I'm the problem? What if I'm the one standing in the way of God's promise? We have this, this, this servant who's, who's much younger. Maybe, maybe God wants to go through her. And in fact, the two times that God speaks to Abram and gives him this promise, Sarai's not even mentioned. So these are starting to fill her mind. Okay, this is Abram's thing. I'm just gonna... I'm in the way, and so I've got this plan. Abram's gonna sleep with my servant, and she can bear him a son. And you gotta think, if you're, if you're in her shoes, she's like, at least I'll know if it's me. Because if Hagar can't have kids, then maybe I'm not the problem. And so she, she pitches this plan to Abram. Abram agrees, kind of a, a little passivity from Abram, And it says, uh, they've been living for 10 years and he goes, marries Hagar, the servant, sleeps with her and boom, she, she conceives, she's pregnant, like right away. At least that's what the text makes it seem like. And it says, Sarai despised her. Like this is, this is strong language. Like Sarai hated her guts because in that moment, all of Sarai's fears, doubts. What if I'm the problem? It, it, it seems like in a moment, it all comes crashing down. Like, first try? I mean, we've been trying this for, for decades. It's me. I don't know why that made me think of that Taylor Swift song. <laughs> that was not far. Sarai's like, it's me, Hi. <laughs> and so, so she's like, fear, doubt, anxiety. I was never a part of this promise. And for her, this is, this is rock bottom. She even tried to manipulate the situation and it just led to more hurt, more shame, more guilt. Distrust, where where's God in all this? Does he even care about me? But what we're about to see is that, that God doesn't leave her there. And he doesn't leave us there either. So second semester, senior year starts, still having this feeling of like, oh God, like he's calling me into something and I, and I just really don't want to do it. 
And so I make these excuses. I say, I'm dating this girl that, that I think I'm gonna marry. So I'm like, okay, I can't go into ministry. I've gotta support her. And like, she's, she's like a year younger. And so I, like, she's gonna still have some more school. And so I'm gonna stay here in Santa Barbara where it's nice and warm. And, and I'm gonna teach tennis lessons. And this is gonna be great. Like, okay, I've got a new plan. And when she graduates, I'll go to OT school. And the plan is, is back on track. Like, here we go. I've got it figured out. I'm in control again. And in the span of 24 hours, I wish I was exaggerating. In the span of 24 hours, I tear my rotator cuff the week before my senior year season and she dumps me. Not because I tore my rotator cuff. <laughs> She's like a gold digger, like, well, if your tennis career's done, then I'm out of here. She dumps me. I still have no idea why. I think I'm gonna marry this girl. In the span of 24 hours, these two things I had placed so much worth in, like these are part of my plan, are, are gone completely. And I'm, I'm like out of control. I'm like, struggling, swimming with guilt and shame and doubts and anxiety. Like, why would God do this? For me, that was, that was rock bottom. Why, if God loves me, why would he take away these two things? And it was in that moment that God sent someone, a guy that I led FCA with, I swear this, God used him as a messenger. And we were sitting down a couple of days after having lunch and I'm just venting. He's like, man, that sucks. He said, I feel like you filled your cup up with tennis, with this relationship, and you kind of gave God whatever was left over. And he said, that, that little section probably has grown over the last couple of years. But he's like, man, I can't shake the feeling that God is just completely dumping it and is trying to get your attention. He's trying to tell you something and you gotta figure out what that is. And in that moment, I, I knew. I knew that because of my hard heart, because of my doubts, because of my resistance, that, that God stripped those things away and I tell people to this day, that was the most loving thing he's ever done. And so with Sarai, he doesn't leave her in this doubt, in these doubts, doesn't leave her in this guilt and shame. Hagar has this son named Ishmael. And so God speaks to Abraham. He changes his name to Abraham and says, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. You're like, whoa, one letter, sick, God, like nice. But there's a huge difference there, a little subtlety, but there's a huge difference. Sarai means princess. And Sarah basically means like the princess. So if Sarai means just a princess, Sarah means like the princess of all princesses. And so in Sarah's lowest moment, God gives her a new identity and clarifies the promise that he made. He says, I will bless her, Sarah, and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her that, so, so she will be the mother of nations. 
kings of people will come from her. God steps in to those doubts, steps in when everything feels out of control. But here's Abraham's response. It says, Abraham fell face down and he laughed. He said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Like we figured the plan out for you, God. We got Ishmael already. Like bless him, have the promise go through him. And God says, yes, but your wife, Sarah, will be the one to bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Notice this, Abraham laughs. The father of faith hears God's promise and laughs out of doubt. And what does God do? Basically says, hey, you'll see. And in fact, your son, who kings will come from, who this lineage will take all the way to Jesus, you're gonna call him the son of laughter. That's what Isaac means. It means he laughs, the son of laughter. And so then God sends messengers again to kind of re-explain this promise, and Sarah is listening. It says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Notice that God continues to clarify his promise. I think when we come to him with doubts, he continues to remind us of his promise. And it says, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him, and Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah also laughs to herself and says, yeah, sure, like after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure of bearing a child? I'm 90 years old. Now you're gonna give me a child. Okay, if you could have done this, God, if you could have answered this prayer, you would have done it decades ago. So she laughs. There's no way that God could do this. And still in the promise, still feeling out of control, God continues to be faithful. Even when both Abraham and Sarah, the mother and the father of our faith, doubt God's promises. So my second question for y'all tonight. Oh, sorry, there's some more, some more scripture. You want it? So Abraham, God says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And now they're caught in this little lie. They're caught in this little thing like, and basically, Sarah goes, oh, no, you were, you were mistaken. I didn't laugh. And God says, yes, yes, you did laugh. So my second question for you, feeling doubts, feeling out of control, guilt and shame, rock bottom. For you, what promise of God has been the hardest for you to believe? Like what promise, whether it's someone's taught you something from the, from the word, whether it's your reading in the Bible, whether it's prayer, whether it's in your small group, have you seen 
and you just have the hardest time believing. Like maybe it's one of those things where it's, hey, that's great for them. I know you're gonna answer that promise for them, but like you haven't answered that one yet for me, God. And so if you were gonna answer that, you probably would have done it a while ago. And so you're probably, you're probably not gonna answer that one anymore. And so what promise is it for you that's hardest for you to believe? And whatever the answer to this question is, is most likely the area of your life that you're trying to control the most. The places where we're not trusting God are the places that we wanna control the most. We have these plans. I don't trust that God has my best in mind. That was me. And so what is that for you? Maybe it's similar to your answers to that first question. I don't trust that God's gonna provide the right guy or girl, so I'm gonna do whatever it takes to like, like slide into as many DMs as possible. Like, I don't trust that God has the right person for me. Or I don't trust that God cares enough about my future career or success or, or anything like that, so, so I'm gonna, I'm not gonna trust him with that. I'm just gonna try and, and hold that as tightly as I can. Maybe it's your friend group. Maybe it's status. Maybe it's what people think of you. It's a perception thing. And those areas are probably where you're trying to hold on the tightest. And those are the areas that God wants you to release and to give to him. But what I think is incredible about this story and I think you'll see this throughout the whole Old Testament, is that even when the people of God, the people God choose are faithless, God continues to remain faithful. Even when they're doubting, even when they're trying to manipulate the situation, God continues to be true to his promises. And so this is how the story ends. We've made it 21 chapters, way to go. Genesis 21, it says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name, or gave the name Isaac, which means he laughs, to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him and got, as God commanded Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And this is where we're gonna end. It says, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Look how sweet this is from God. Both Abraham and Sarah hear God's promises and laugh from doubt, disbelief. No way he's gonna do this. The same people that decades earlier, God said, all right, get up and go. And they're like, all right, we're going. This is the same people hear God's promise and say, there's no way. People are gonna laugh at us when they hear us talking about this. If I tell someone that I'm gonna have, have a child at 90, 
I will be the laughing stock of the entire city. And God steps into that and says, they're not gonna be laughing at you, but they'll be laughing with you. He turns this, this laughter of doubt and, and disbelief to a laughter of joy and celebration, this laughter of, of, of I cannot believe this happened. This, this miracle just happened in front of my eyes. There's no other explanation, and this happened. Isn't this wild? It's a laughter of just pure shock and excitement and joy. And so God gets the last laugh. He's able to redeem and restore even the parts of our life and the parts of our story that we're most embarrassed of. Think about how Sarah felt after Isaac is born. Wow. I laughed in disbelief and look at what God has done. I was, I was unfaithful to Yahweh and look how faithful he is. Look how good he is. He can restore and redeem even the most broken parts of our story. And so here's my last question for y'all tonight. What part of your story do you wish, do you desperately want God to redeem? Or for some of you, I'm gonna word it like this. What part of your story maybe has God already redeemed and you've had the hardest time believing that God would step into that? Because here's what I hope we will see this whole semester. I hope we will see that God has never chosen someone that has it all together. From Adam all the way up until Jesus, every single person in the Old Testament is filled with brokenness, with sin, with patterns that they're ashamed of. And yet that's not what the story is about. The story is about seeing God's goodness, God's faithfulness, even despite broken people, even despite broken vessels. This is something that Paul understood really well. He was very aware of the weaknesses. He was very aware of the things that were in his life that he, was, that he hated, that he was afraid of, that he was ashamed of. And he says, Jesus said to me, this is after he asked Jesus, begged Jesus to remove these things. It says, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For some of you tonight, this is all you need to hear. God is not afraid of your weaknesses. God is not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of your brokenness. He wants to step into that. And even in that place, he wants to call you and bring you to a life that is way more full and that is way more abundant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that even amidst our brokenness, even amidst our weakness, even when we're not faithful, you remain faithful. You have never given us a promise that you haven't kept. So would you just help us to trust you today? Would you help us to walk out of here 
knowing that you are gonna do what you said you said you will, and that you will always keep your promises. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I know uh, I know y'all are dying to know how the story ends. Did he go into occupational therapy? Is he a professional tennis player now? Or, is, or, or did he answer the call and go into ministry? The day that I was, I, I was at that lunch and my cup was, was empty, I picked up the phone and called my mentor who, who discipled me at camp and, and said, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know if I'm even the guy, but send me anywhere, I'll do anything, just, just, I wanna go. And a few months later, I packed up everything I had in a Mazda 3 and drove it halfway across the country, left behind family, left behind security, left behind the things that I, that I knew and were comfortable. And guys, I gotta tell you, it has been so worth the risk. God has been with me every step of the way. So whatever that call on your life looks like tonight, whether it feels big or small, he is worth the risk and he will be with you every step of the way. So maybe for you, we got Kanakuk here with us tonight. So maybe it's serving this summer with them. Go see them in the back. Maybe the call on your life this moment is to crush a honey butter chicken biscuit. So go and do that. And we'll see you next week. We love you. Grace and peace.